starting to look at how you relate to yourself. From an emotional perspective, I'm a big believer in just getting it out, finding ways to not hold on to the stuff that you don't need. This podcast does not constitute medical advice. All changes surrounding medications, diet and exercise should be made in consultation with a professional who can assess your unique health circumstances. Welcome to the Rheumatoid Solutions Podcast with Clint Patterson, helping you to live an easier, healthier, and happier life. Today's very special guest is going to talk about mindset, because when we have rheumatoid arthritis, it can be so difficult to negotiate all the negative thoughts, all of the worries, the fears that come with having this very challenging condition. She is a mindset coach and well-being practitioner. She helps with mental well-being. She helps with shifting self-doubt. And she's also the coach on this topic inside our support group. So she helps our members with these issues as part of their membership. She runs her own practice and does this privately one-on-one with people via telehealth as well. And so I'd like to welcome Alyssa Lowenstern to this episode. G'day, Alyssa. Hi, Clint. Fantastic to be here. Really a privilege. Thank you. Your unique position is that you also have rheumatoid arthritis. Now, this puts you as a practitioner into a position of empathy like no other. It means that not only are you able to meet people on the sort of, you know, the mental level that that intellectually so that they can you know, absorb your concepts and listen to your teachings, but you're able to meet them on that emotional level and that compassionate level that comes with having experienced this awful condition. So before we get into what, you know, your tips, your guidance that you're going to give us on this call, tell us, uh, you know, give us a little background on your situation and where you're at today and, and your story of how you got there with your condition. Yeah, sure. Thank you. Um, And it's very true, actually, as you would know, being somebody who's worked through um, the journey of rheumatoid arthritis, it makes for a a very different lens that you look through when you're working with people, whether it's with nutrition and diet and exercise, or in my case, with uh, mindset and emotions. So I was um, 11 when I was first uh, diagnosed with rheumatoid took about six months for the diagnosis to happen, uh, as is, you know, often the case. And I started off with septic arthritis in my left hip. um, And then about six months later, started getting the usual, you know, aches and swellings and so forth and, and was told it was psychological and my mother should take me home and yep. (laughs) Goodness. Yep. Come back. And my hands were like balloons. Uh, come back in six months if I was still in pain. And so she took me back in six months and, of course, I was a lot worse. And there happened to be a paediatrician on the GP practice when we went back and he said, oh, goodness me, no, this is not psychological. This is looks like rheumatoid arthritis to me. And um, so my blood tests were positive straight away. Everything sort of showed up. And I went on a you know, fairly typical journey in those days because I'm 65. So you can imagine what drugs were around then, the, you know, massive doses of 
steroids and, um, you know, 32 disprin a day uh, such that I would turn up to school with nosebleeds and gold injections and um, kidney damage from a trial drug at the age of 15 that my parents sort of were never even told about the potential side effects. And the thing was extraordinary for me throughout that time, which really led to, you know, 20, the age of 20, was that not one person sat down and said, how are you? (laughs) What's going on for you? You know, these are the side effects that you may experience from these drugs, et cetera, et cetera. So given that sort of fairly excruciating journey where I um, became more and more somebody who went inside myself, turned inwards rather than, you know, um, expressed what was happening for me outwardly. I think I had one year where I went into remission when I was 16. I've got no idea why. And I exercised madly for that year and thoroughly enjoyed it. (laughs) And then it came back. It just, I don't know, it just slipped back. So anyway, look, I got to a point where I was 20 where I had stomach ulcers plus the kidney damage and really looking down the barrel of at that point in time, similar medications couldn't stay on them anymore. So I was told then that, look, you're going to be in a wheelchair. There's nothing more we can do. It's going to be progressive from here. And, you know, you've got these other conditions because of the drugs. So I was really at a major crossroads. I was absolutely desperate emotionally as well as physically. So I had to make a a big decision. You know, it's one of those sort of line in the sand moments that you have in life where you are completely desperate. And I'm sure a lot of the people who are watching this will, as have you, um, know that feeling with rheumatoid where you just have feel like you have no other option. So I started researching and came across a psychiatrist actually who was offering, I don't know why or how I ended up in the emotional side of the journey, but I did, you know. You fall into different things in life and that's just sort of how it happened. And he was doing a very fairly radical kind of therapy that he said would help my inflammation. And I, at that point in time, thought, I am going to try anything. But, you know, looking at somebody who went on a grape diet for three weeks, thinking that that would help. And please, nobody out there try a grape diet for three weeks. It's not good for you and it doesn't help. But I tried everything, I'm sure, like you did. Uh, So I went on this emotional journey. um, I went into a place, it was a very radical form of therapy, emotional release therapy. In those days, it was called primal therapy, which I'm sure you may or may not have heard of. But yeah, it's a fairly, um, the, the name has sort of changed itself now. It used to be called the scream therapy a long time ago, give you an idea of how full on it. It could be, but, you know, I went and lived inside this place for three weeks and I didn't see anyone or talk to anyone, have any contact with outside other than the therapist, so it was pretty. Wow. And your parents signed off on this and said. Well, I was 21, so I saved up for it myself. My mother actually, my father didn't sign off on it. He was totally against it. 
Mm. Uh, my mother did. She actually helped me because she saw an article written by this psychiatrist where he had actually helped a young um, child that had been uh, very sick with cancer who didn't want to live anymore. And he helped this child enormously. So she said, look, just give it a go. You know, anything could help at this point. So before I ask a ton of questions, first of all, did it work? And if it, if it worked, I want to know more. It did work, Clinton. It did. It was extraordinary. It was, I, I was in a really intense period of time with this place for about a year. After that three weeks of intense therapy, like I'm talking three or four hours on the floor in a padded room <laughs> every day, and then at night they, they ran groups because you would, once you'd finished your in what they called an intensive, you would come back and, and be part of groups where you might be in a group, a large group room, which was a great big padded room, um, which was the same colour as the womb, padded floors, padded walls, yeah, all to uh, simulate the sort of early life experiences and to be a space where people can actually learn to let go rather than hold on to feelings. So at night, three times a week, I would go into the group room after having had probably three hours on my own with two different therapists during the day and be with, you know, 20 or 30 other people. <laughs> First time I experienced it, I thought I've really gone mad here. <laughs> I've completely lost it. We're all mad. We're all in a nut house here. And But what this psychiatrist did with me in particular because of my rheumatoid was he sent me along to a place called the Shepherd Foundation in Australia to have a whole wrath of blood tests done before I went in, including psychological profile. So all of my markers in my blood for rheumatoid, for, you know, acidity levels, for all of the different things associated with autoimmunity. And we did that in the beginning. We did it at the end of the intensive and we did it twice after that at the three-month mark and the six-month mark. Uh, and all of my markers started coming down. This is fascinating. So it definitely sounds like some kind of sort of uh, almost like a psychological thriller <laughs> film where the, someone's captured and they're put into a, <laughs> almost like a Leonardo DiCaprio, I think, was called The Island or something, and they're oh, in really? some psychiatric. It, it definitely has these connotations of uh, kooky. Uh, so, um, well, it's it's normalising it. It's not. It's yeah. Nowadays, it's called. There's still there's a place in Melbourne that does it now. There's a place yeah. in the states. There's it's emotional release therapy now. It's literally if you look at it, it's about learning to even like somatic therapy. Yes, which I am therapy. familiar with. Yes, yeah. and I'm only making light of it um, in a sense that uh, it just that these days with everyone being so uh, so, what's the word? Uh, just interested in everyone's being taken care of in the most immaculate way and no one should be slighted with their medical treatment and you wouldn't want to do anything wrong by the patient and the, and i guess with more of a uh, you know more of that kind of viewpoint it sounds yeah. much more extreme than what we might have today but it sounds like it actually really helped you 
And, and that's, I think, shaped the direction of now eventually your career and the way that you help people and the way that you view this disease as being very much emotionally driven, which we'll talk about shortly with the emotional mm. connection with inflammation. Yep. So <laughs> it is, it is fascinating. So, so given that you said you spent a year of time, uh, you know, after that, it, that three week period with this, uh, practitioner tell us you know the development of or the reversal of symptoms that that followed um i also started to eat healthier as you can imagine yeah one of the criteria for going in there was you know healthy food as well so you know i think it was a combination of um for me for somebody who had all of their life held everything in really i mean i had a, mm. to put things in perspective a fairly challenging upbringing compared to other people but as i went along i learned to have able it was like somebody taking the top off the pressure cooker mm. you know that's sort of how it felt really and and you know it, really on a really basic level for me and this is not the way i work with people now because it's 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 not the way everybody wants to work. And I've come a long way since then and, and studied and researched a lot of different modalities. And where I am now is I feel that um, different things are right for different people. Mm. Not everybody wants to go down um, to that deep level. And it's not, it's not right for everybody. Not everybody needs to. That's the thing. It's horses for courses. But for me, turned my rheumatoid around in the space of, you know, six weeks. I went from, I went in there with sore, stiff, swollen joints. And I remember being told as a child not to damage them, not to hurt them, not to touch anything in the wrong way, not to exercise. And the more I thumped the hell out of something with a sore, swollen joint, the better it felt. It's just, you know. Yeah. Uh, so. That led me to believing that it's really important to have a healthy relationship with your emotions and to have a healthy mindset around your condition. Uh, couldn't agree more. You've you know only taken us through to age what twenty one in your story. There's a few years there to fill in. I, I really want to uh, extract your tips and and your exciting. Uh, guidelines for us in 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 some remaining time mm. um i want to leave a lot of time for that can you just uh, maybe press maybe uh do like a decade at a time for us over the next maybe few decades there and tell us what you know what did your medical treatment look like how were symptoms say for the subsequent years to lead us up to where you are today and then we can talk about all of uh, the information that you've got to share with us I, um, medical treatment for me sort of stopped as soon as I did that therapy. Yeah, I'm, I thought this is it for me, you know, that really the medications didn't change at that point in time a long time ago. Traditional Chinese medicine played a big part in the support ongoing for the next decade. You know, three times a week acupuncture, herbal poultices on joints, lots of herbs to be taken. I was... I'm a bit like you and like people who've really come out the other end of this is that I'm a very determined person and when I set my mind to something, I go to the nth to get the best out of it. 
So that next decade was I did that therapy for another eight years. A couple of times a week I did traditional Chinese medicine combined with that and I started to eat a lot healthier uh, and make choices in my life around that, you know, let go of things that no longer served me, really sat down and thought, you know, how do I want to um, relate to this condition going forward? I decided that I wanted to be in charge of it because for all of those years, as you know, the medical profession, you know, for want of a better word, you know, takes control and doesn't give you a lot of say in how you manage your condition with rheumatoid. That was sort of that decade. The next decade was really for me involved in children and having children was a really positive effect on my body, particularly being pregnant. Must be to do with the hormones, I think. My body just absolutely loved it. I, along that time, too, researched um, a lot of different wonderful supplements, as I know you have, and also started to feel what foods didn't, didn't work for me. And I went into some other, as I got into my um, later 30s, I started to look at other modalities that worked for me that helped my body things like really good um, integrative chiropractor who does a lot of work not with joints but with muscles and getting keeping things moving. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, what are them after? So, I've, look, I've studied heaps of modalities. I won't go into them all now. But I've kept a traditional Chinese medicine going right throughout. I went into things like kinesiology, which I studied in JEPS. Uh, and utilised that a lot personally and then became qualified in that area myself. Myotherapy, um, lots of different integrative medical practitioners. I've done a lot of intravenous vitamins and minerals over the years at a clinic in Melbourne. Mm -hmm. Um, I find that very, don't do it so much now, but I Mm. found it very helpful. I've done stem cell therapy. Wow. Okay. We can wow. tap upon that. I, I, would you let me just ask you quickly then? Uh, did you do vitamin C as an exclusive uh, vitamin as an intravenous therapy? The um, person in Melbourne that I was under, um, I did, used to do vitamin C, but used to have with it bees that yeah. cross the blood brain barrier, selenium, magnesium, folic acid. So quite a number of things yeah. in the intravenous. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. I've had exclusively vitamin C. Um, I didn't notice anything, but I was not very symptomatic at the time. So it's hard to say, you know, but I like it as a concept. You know, it looks good on paper when you read the studies and so forth. So I was curious mm. about that. Uh, and stem cells, you know, it's not, it's few and far between to meet people who've actually had stem cell therapy with rheumatoid. Uh, it just isn't that common. And those people who I have asked about stem cell therapy for RA have had mixed results. I've had some, I've had just a few people say they think it helped them. And a few people say it cost them an enormous amount of money and they didn't notice any different. And so with that kind of preframe, um, you know, how did you find your treatment? And, and did you have it systemically or is, was it for a particular area? Good question, actually, and I did it for the systemic reasons of rheumatoid because I've had it for so long. The doctor that I went to see, we both agreed that it would be given intravenously over a period of a year, 
and I, I went through a fairly detailed protocol to clean up my body prior to harvesting the stem cells. I got rid of heavy metals and all of that sort of thing. So it was for the systemic effects of rheumatoid, not for localised joints. I had PRP for that. Gee, you've um, done everything. Wow. I've done everything. <laughs> oh, my God. You really have. I you've have. Done, okay, I'm going to ask you about that next. Okay, tell, tell we're going to. In, yeah, in go terms on. of the stem cell therapy, so because it was done systemically, I wasn't, you know, sort of comparing joint. My joints were pretty good at the time. It was to address any systemic issues that may have been going on in my body that I didn't know about. But as you know, because it affects the whole everybody system. Yep. That's why yep. we did it. And so I didn't really say, oh, that joint there's better, or you know, because it wasn't done for that purpose. And how did it how did any, well, any noticeable effect? I had a heart checkup earlier this year. I've had rheumatoid for well over 50 years and I've got a health, super healthy heart. I've got lungs that are fabulous. My liver's good, you know. So mm. whether or you know, it's it's one of those things. Yeah. yeah, it's one of those things. But I trusted. Yeah. See, that one of the things that I have learned, and it's part of the thing that forms my work, is the placebo effect. So that, and this is where my mindset work that comes in. That it's what you believe is so powerful. You know how how can people be given a treatment that is fake, and yet that person's body still initiates a healing process even though they've been given a sugar pill. Mm. So if you go into any kind of treatment and your belief system says, oh, I think this is a load of rubbish, I don't believe this is going to help my rheumatoid, then it's probably not going to help at all. Mm. Mm. And I'm not saying that that's the only reason that treatments don't work for people, Mm. but I think the mindset side of it is really important. But, yes, so stem cell therapy for me was for that purpose. PRP was for the localised joints, and I found it really helpful. Painful, okay. but really helpful. <laughs> That's, yeah, no one has talked about this on a previous episode, and this wasn't part of our original sort of game plan here, oh, but I, I, I want to ask you about this. Uh, um, so with the PRPs, now the, the, the background I have on this, my knowledge on this is as follows. Um, general guidelines are it's good for supportive tissue around a joint such as tendonitis, um, muscle inflammation, and so forth, and that you draw some of your own body's uh, resources, then it gets spun or cleaned, if you like. I forget the details. You might be able to improve my uh, basic knowledge, and then re-inject it into that site, and it helps to reduce inflammation and create you know, healthy tissue growth. And I don't have anyone who's told me whether or not it's worked around a swollen joint. Uh, typically, my inquiries have been met with, oh, no, this typically works for, you know, maybe people with osteoarthritis or, uh, you know, who've got uh, weak connective tissue around the joint. So it's, I've really got a blank sheet of paper with someone who's got, you know, active rheumatoid arthritis in some joints who's had the PRP injection. So can you tell us your experience? Yeah, sure. mm. I went. I actually flew over to Adelaide to see um, a doctor who was doing it over there, and I think I stayed for a few days and went to the clinic. So I had infusions. While then, I had the plasma. It's called plasma-rich protein, and you're right in how it's done. 
I had my knees were sore at the time and I think one sitting with him I had 20 injections so I had them into all of the small joints in my hands uh, it really helped my knees at the time I found it that this brought the swelling down and some of the soreness injections sort of went in it wasn't most um, comfortable feeling to have the injection in that sort of underneath the, the kneecap almost. Yeah, but as you know, some of the treatments for rheumatoid aren't the, the most um, pleasant things to have done, but I found it helpful. I had it done a few times. Um, and the clinic that I go to in Melbourne, Institute of Integrated Medicine in Hawthorne, I've used to speak to a number of people who found PRP helpful for an inflamed rheumatoid joint. Mm. Well, yeah, I've well, had a positive experience with it. Well, I think anyone listening to this who's who's basically, uh, you know, looking for alternative treatments and and uh, in the market for, for trying something new, I would definitely explore this. I would definitely explore PRP above anything else that we've covered so far for, you know, as a first point. Pricing's in the several, quite many hundreds of dollars. Not I know, thousands. and that's not yeah. that's not fair. It's, actually, I yeah, yeah. It's a lot of unfortunately, mm. a lot of integrative mm. medical treatments are far too expensive. Nowadays, I focus on simple things, more simple things. Mm. Mm. I think a lot so, of these things can. Anyway, you go on. Yeah. No. So, um, you you came to our program at one point. As yeah. Well. We, yeah. Yeah. Let's let's jump forward to that. That's and then exactly a good point. Let's get into our tips. Yeah. Yep. I had a really bad flare clinch. Um, I had been working as a lawyer, probably a profession that I should never have taken on, but I decided to. Left the legal profession in a really badly flared state. Again, I think that was stress induced for me, and. I don't know whether it was mentioned to me, but I was at the computer researching, 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 and up came Patterson Program. And it was absolutely miraculous for me. It was similar to how I did with that primal therapy. My markers were really high when I started with you. As soon as I started the juicing, as I started juicing first, that celery and cucumber juice, and led into starting the program a bit more gently. That juicing was like turning the tap off. And then I went along and started exercising at the same time. Panson program for me, I have not looked back. I have rec- you know, recommend it to anyone that I come across who's some people say, oh, I don't want to change my diet. Nothing. Well, but it's, it's yeah, so I abs- and I changed also with, Doing that at the same time, I went back and started exercising, which I had stopped. Of course, you always stop all the good things when you get stressed. You get into this little spin-off cycle. But I follow Patterson program today, and that's what two sixteen, I think, wasn't it, or something like that. So, uh, or two seventeen, I think, is when I um, started with you, and. People are used to it now. People don't. I still don't eat out a lot, or if I do, I'll. And if I have, it's rare that I'll have a flare these days, very rare. It might be just one sore joint, and I know exactly, you know, I'll think, well, yeah, I did that. Mm. But absolutely love it. Wouldn't, um, couldn't look at anything else now. I know exactly. In fact, a, um, a woman who was on when I was on, we're still good friends, Louise and I. And every time I do my, 
fries in the my air fryer, which I use every day. I think of her because either my potatoes or sweet potatoes in there. I can eat potatoes fairly easily. But yeah. it's a and I as I've said before, when I um very privileged to have been able to experience your work. And when I look at Instagram and see a lot of people on there with rheumatoid and think, you know, if only you'd, you know, have a go at being completely radical, turning it around. And nowadays I'm really used to, you know, people saying, particularly if I go and see a medical practitioner, what are you doing not eating this or that? It works. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm healthy and it works. If someone had said to me when I was 15 years old, this is a diet, I'll tell you what, can you imagine? Oh, can you imagine? And that just gave me goosebumps all over left arm, right arm and legs because if only you knew, if only I'd known, yeah. if I'd have known how to eat, I would never have had this disease. No. If I'd have known that five years of antibiotics as a teenager and then again three months of antibiotics, the same antibiotics again at age 30, would result in me developing RA only a few months later. Look, the choices we would have made is just extraordinary. The, the trajectory that, that, you know, our life has followed as a result of things we didn't know. Yeah. So all we can yeah, do. I had intravenous antibiotics, actually. That was my lead into rheumatoid because of the septic arthritis. Was treated with IV antibiotics for a month, every day for a go. month. There you go, Alyssa. You can look back and you can say Hello. that was the cause. Yeah. I, I did a podcast about a year ago or something, and it was all about the relationship between antibiotic use and, and development of rheumatoid arthritis, and it's dose-dependent. The more you take, the more your risk of developing rheumatoid arthritis. Mm. And only one dose of antibiotics, one course, not intravenous, but one course of antibiotics in the last 10 years increases your risk of developing rheumatoid arthritis. I mean, the relationship is is extremely strong. I also so, ate a lot of sugar as a kid, but anyway, that's um they all I do, think that they? just helps. Anyway, that's, we should move on, shouldn't we? <laughs> let's let let us now you've so interesting on so many topics we could have uh, we could have talked this whole you know session all about just alternative treatments. Happy to um, have another one sometime if you want to talk about some more. Yeah. We, we we could we could, um, but you help people inside our community, and you've had uh, you've put on a couple of uh, events, uh, live events now, which has been great. So we've expanded our coaching with the likes of yourself and and Carl, and uh, we've got um, uh, some other contributors uh, in, yeah, as well. Uh, Katie's doing her yoga sessions now each month, and so we've got all of this going on. We've got our laughter therapy as well, and. You know, it's all, we've got these sessions happening all the time. You're handling the mindset side of it. You're giving presentations around that. Can you talk with us now about the relationship, for example, emotional relationship with inflammation might be a good uh, aspect to delve into and how this might affect our inflammation levels, stress and the impact, just everything to do with the non-physical and its impact on inflammation. If you could speak about that, and then we'll talk about what we can do, practical tips to to try and resolve that on our own as best we can. Yeah, sure. From my own experience, as you know, the way I've spoken um, so far, holding in emotions, not being able to recognise 
negative emotions and when often with autoimmune conditions, particularly like rheumatoid arthritis, we tend to be very self-critical. You know, my markers aren't coming up enough. I've got a sore joint and I've been eating really well for two weeks or I've been on the program for a year and all of a sudden I've got sore joint. Self-criticism is a really, really big deal, I think, when you have a condition that you're dealing with. It's so easy to slip into, it's my fault. And that was one of my common denominators for me. And it's something that I am very, very conscious of on a daily basis. In And I th- think that was the first little session I did on here, which was about unconditional love. You know, the relationship that we have with ourselves is the most important relationship that we have with anyone in our lives. And often most of us don't even know what that relationship is like. You know, you go through every day and you're not even aware of how you are with yourself. What are your thoughts like? You know, if you're with somebody, you've spent two hours with someone and it might not have been an easy two hours for whatever reason, how are you after that? You know, do you pay out on yourself? Do you go over and over and over the conversation? Are you negative? You know, what do you like when you're with family? You know, we all have a family member, most of us do, that pushes our buttons. You know, I've had two children. I know what children are like. They're hard hard work. Are you somebody who um, finds self-worth difficult? And that's something that a lot of people, understandably, don't even give much thought to, Clint, because we are taught as children to seek validation for who we are outside of ourselves, through achievements, through sports, through, um, you know, what you own, what you buy, what education you have. Nobody says to you, you need to love yourself regardless of what happens to you in life because of who you are without anything else. And the thing that I found for me that often shifted me out of what I call the negative mindset with my rheumatoid was that I'm separate from my rheumatoid. I'm over here. I'm a great person. I'm lovable. I'm good enough. I'm funny. I'm in a bad mood some days. I'm grumpy other days. I'm not a perfect parent. Um, I've made mistakes in my life, but I'm still a wonderful human being who is worthy of loving herself and separate from somebody who has an autoimmune condition that's been really tough, that still could be tough in the future. But I linked the two of those things together. And that's the one thing that I find in, we're moving now into tips, is, is to be really is to start watching yourself on a daily basis, just little things like, you know, how are you at the end of the day? What does it feel like when you wake up? Do you feel negative? Do you feel down? You know, how can how can you shift that? Starting to look at how you relate to yourself. From an emotional perspective, I'm a big believer in just getting it out, finding ways to not hold on to the stuff that you don't need. And they don't have to cost money. You know, I think Anya and I were talking um, in a thread in the your um, in the you know group, literally about going for a drive in the car somewhere and having a damn good yell. Yeah, if you're having a crappy day. Yeah, and I, yeah, 
yeah, who, yeah, no, yeah, yes. lo- yeah, who runs the laughter, the laughter yeah, sessions yeah. that we yeah. were just mentioning before. Yeah. Um, have I done that? Gosh, I think I wrote either it's in a, either an email that I wrote once, or yeah, I, I don't think I did a podcast about it, but yes, it's called Screaming in Cars. And I used to wind up the window and get on the road and scream. And, um, you know, I used to do it a lot. I used to do it a lot. And the intensity of my screaming through frustration, anger, and hopelessness was so great that my voice used to be raspy for hours afterwards. Like it would be as though, you know, like it's not very relatable, but, uh, you know, years later, I'd be doing comedy gigs sometimes with a microphone that wasn't adequate in a big room and you'd be really working your voice and you'd be raspy afterwards. Um, Same. I mean, I would yell so much because the depths of, the depths of frustration is so great that I don't think anyone outside of our community, the rheumatoid community, the autoimmune community can understand that when you're in pain constantly and you're doing all the things that you believe should be, enough to make progress you feel entitled to get some relief and when it doesn't come you just have this 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 tidal wave of frustration and it Mm. has to come out as you said and i used to scream in cars and i would have punched walls if my elbows could move enough and my fists could form enough to withstand the and you can't you can't even punch the damn wall because your body's messed up so now you know why i love doing that therapy all those years ago that's all it was clint was just that um you know the thing is that we need to realize is this is where i'm interested in this space is that you can't change what happens to you in life can't change the past. You can't change anything that's going to happen in the future, but you can change the way you respond and react. And this is this is where we can help ourselves when we have a really tough condition to find small ways to help shift things, to change the focus, change the perspective, to release things as they come up to um, learn to look at when we are, you know, that little inner critic. A lot of people with conditions like rheumatoid have what I call the inner critic. It's I call it the little monkey inside your head that just does not shut up. You know, you could have done that better. You could have said that differently. Why didn't you do this, you know? And it doesn't help the joints. And this is where the neuroscience comes in because the research in neuroscience, which is something that I studied a long time ago, the neuroscience now points to evidence that our immune system cells, uh, there are cells in the body called um, neuropeptides, and the neuropeptide is what's called a signaling molecule, and it enables information to be passed inside a cell for all sorts of reactions and responses to happen in the body. And if those neuropeptides are elsewhere in the body, then they send messages back to the brain and the brain will initiate a different response, et cetera, et cetera. Now, there was a neuroscientist a long time ago called Candace Persh who discovered that these um, signalling molecules are found in areas in the brain and the body where emotions are processed and stored 
like the limbic system in the brain. Then she discovered that these um, same molecules sit on the top of immune cells, which means that immune system cells are capable of processing and passing messages to do with our emotions into our immune system cells and then send information back to the brain. So the immune system has a lot of interaction with the brain about our emotional well-being. And what she then went on to write about was that, in her own words, emotions are the glue that holds the body together and that they are incredibly potent and that we do not give enough credit to our emotional well-being for the health of our immune system. I can say with great confidence from my own experience that the emotional state of excitement, and, and, and I, I'm very, I choose my words carefully, excitement is always, uh, over the years for me, has been associated with a period of uh, most notable healing or most notable full sense of, of well-being. And when I feel like I had I was onto something. I've, I've worked it out. I've taken the oil out of my salad if we go back 11 years. <laughs> taken the oil out of my salad. I feel better today. I've left it out now three, four days in a row. And everything, all my pain scores, they're all down and they've stayed down. It's the oil. I'm excited. That feeling of excitement is at least as therapeutic as anything else at that point that I was doing. And I can really, really, you know, feel confident about that in my own in my own body. And likewise, on the flip side, I was just writing this for my book, is that is that a study was done, 274 patients with rheumatoid arthritis, a, a survey questionnaire, 86% reported that stress, and of course it can be emotional stress, interpersonal stress, stress was was reported as the most frequent cause of their symptoms. And so I know it's only patient questionnaires, but this is people's, this is what people believe is that something is emotional, the stress levels, it's all contributing to their joint pain. So, you know, nearly nine out of 10 people with RA feel that that's their most, you know, dominating uh, attribute. And so it's so true, is what I'm saying. I mean, it plays such a phenomenal role in, in both the improvement and also the perpetuation of the condition. So you mentioned earlier uh, getting it out. I want to go there more. We talked about screaming. Do you have people scream during your sessions? Do you have or, or, or do you teach other methods? Do you say, do you tell them to go off and get in a car like like I've done and I, I do I don't I don't facilitate the therapy that I did a long time ago. There is a place in Melbourne that I think that's very few people are really want to do that and I really would never ever in fact I don't really talk about it with a lot of people. A lot of people judge it for different reasons. Um, most certainly in the work in even in traditional Chinese medicine, which is one area that I have practiced in, Different meridian systems in the body have a different emotion associated with it. So it could be um, singing, it could be yelling, it could be, you know, like if it's to do with the liver, it's about yelling. 
um, to do with another meridian. It could be more about singing. But the way I work with somebody is if I'm working with someone who I feel I can sense is somebody who holds on, not everybody does, then I will talk with them about, you know, um, what do they do to express things as they come up? You know, you know, like how do you express sadness? How do you express anger when you're anger? How do you express excitement when you're excited? Do, do you express it or because in in um, the modalities that I studied, one of which being psych K and kinesiology, you look at how that person digests their emotions. Like, do we do we do we turn them over? Because it actually physically affects your digestion. If you're somebody who's a churner, who's a warrior, who's a an internalizer, how do we digest our emotions? Do we digest them or do we just turn them around? So it it depends on the person. Depends on you know some people are really good at at saying, look, I'm a bit grumpy today. I'm going to go for a a brisk walk and talk it out. That's for some people a really good thing to do. Other people, it's good to yell. It just depends on on who I'm working with and what they're like. I personally find it beneficial to let it out, whether it's frustration, whether it's anger, but it's also really important, I find, to help the person connect to what it is they're expressing. Like, you know, um, when you get a sore joint, how were you feeling before you got it? Because I know sometimes I've had flares when I've had a lot of stress going on in my life and I look to the point and I think, well, how was I experiencing that thing? Was I angry? Was I sad? Was I frustrated? Was I hurt? You know, did I express it or did I go away and just, you know, let it sort of sit there? So, yeah, that's sort of. But the neuroscience side of it for me underpins what I've always known, what I've always felt intuitively that emotions mindset have a huge input to our immune system along with other things that you know, you specialise in and we all know very, very well. There's a wonderful man called Bruce Lipton who is, I'm sure you've heard of um, Bruce Lipton, The Biology of Belief. The name is vaguely, vaguely familiar. He is the science underneath the work that I do in a um, called Psych K, which essentially talks about we are more than our environments and our biology and our genes. We are the product of our beliefs and our beliefs are conclusions we come to as we grow up based on our environment, our upbringing, our education, and they inform um, decisions, behaviour, attitudes, thoughts. And interestingly, the science nowadays says that on a daily basis, most of us are only acting consciously 5% of the time. I've heard similar things like this, mm. which is of the tens of thousands of thoughts that we have each day, something like 80% of them are the exact same thoughts we had yesterday, if, yep. not, the, if, if not 90. Yeah. Yeah. So most of the time <laughs> we are responding to subconscious belief systems. So you'll have an interaction with somebody and your response will most likely be from something in the subconscious rather than what's happening in the present. 
And so one of the areas I'm interested in is helping people to shift limiting subconscious beliefs that influence everyday life. And it's pretty easy to do using different neural processes that work at the subconscious level. I use muscle testing to get there, you know, to tap into that. Because when you can change the lens that you look through life, you know, that which is just our perspective, you can then respond differently to the everyday and you can be much more present. You can say, well, I don't need to respond today. You know, an example would be um, I was in a therapy a long time ago with a young physiotherapist who made the connection that often when someone pushes his buttons when he gets angry, he doesn't just respond to what's happening in the present. He ends up sort of emptying the whole wheelbarrow out from, you know, and this is what they mean by, I guess, you know, not necessarily always being present when, when you're interacting. And you, but the thing is you don't know. Most of us mm-hmm. don't know that. But getting back to the rheumatoid aspect of it, the belief systems are really important, Clint, because you know, if you have a negative belief system around how you're working with your condition or even how you're relating to yourself as a person, it's going to have a big impact on your body. And to help people, you know, shift negative beliefs, to help them bring in positive ways of working with their condition and with themselves, it can have, you know, a fantastic impact I think, in the way that I've worked with myself on on the condition on there's a day to day basis, there's no doubt about it. And I believe that uh, for you know, in my personal circumstances, for as much as I feel that I was competent at working out the dietary and exercise components, managing to uh, sidestep the landmines of counterproductive medications that exist, and uh, and that's only a small subset of the medications these days, but some are counterproductive that we talk about, you know, these gut, gut, negative gut drugs. I feel that in parallel with that, the mindset, the, the belief systems, the re- reduction of limiting beliefs, if we like, was, was one of the things that I feel was one of the strengths that I had throughout this whole journey and continue to have. And I find that I've, I generally have always had a naturally positive attitude towards life. Mm. Two beliefs that I've always had, and, and, and these, these I've had since I was a, probably a late teen, is that things always work out for me. I've always believed that, and I don't know how that came into my mindset, uh, how I started to believe that, but I've always believed that. And Later in my 20s, it was probably only a few years before I got rheumatoid, a belief system that I'm the luckiest person in the world. And that very strongly held belief. And then rheumatoid put the greatest pressure on that belief and and, and squashed it into the mud for several years. And I questioned that and I questioned a whole lot of things. But it slowly gained a little bit of, of, of kindling and started to gain a little bit more traction uh, as I started to see some progress years after diagnosis and elbow surgeries and misery and lost all my cartilage in my left knee. And I mean, misery to the max, screaming in the car years. 
But holding on to some of those beliefs is just crucial. And and I see this working with people like you do. When people come to me and they say they say things to me like on email, they say, "You're my last hope." I've I've you know I you can tell they they're, they're questioning life itself, and I'm their last hope and like help me and stuff and. And you see these people in this position of of helplessness, not in a position of empowerment, and it's not a judgment, it's just an observation that we all are in different sort of self-empowerment states, we're in different levels of desperation, we view our situation differently, and working with someone like yourself, be able to identify with your experience what that person needs and how to help them, because for me, it's often challenging through just an email. Yeah, what true. do I say to how do I what do I say to this person? Now, you know, here's yeah. our program. You need financial help. Okay, you you don't have to pay for it if you're in a third world country. There you go. But mm. uh, other than that, I mean, how do you know what else can you? How can I help? That someone like yourself can can step into those shoes for those people who who are mentally in a real tough place. Yeah, and look, it's 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 small steps, Clint. Not everybody, you know, you have to be really careful when you're helping people to um, see where they're at. And this is where my own journey helps me to 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 know that they might need very small steps. Mm. You know, you don't, and and other people might be able to take bigger leaps in the beginning. Uh, some people have had a lot more challenging early life experiences that make it even more challenging for them. And um, but in terms of the mindset, you know, I think, and I think I wrote this in my little bio in your in the group that um, you look at people like um, Ash Barty, who you know is recently retired, but she has her mindset coach Ben Crow, and you know he he did this massive turnaround with her, and you see it in particularly in elite sports people where they get to a point where there's a lot of stress on board, where there's a lot of expectation from other people and they get very self-critical. You watch it on the court, start to, you know, pay out on themselves. I can't do it. You can see it in their, you know, that mm. self-talk. And this is what he shifted with her. He shifted the same. He works very similarly to me, shifted in separating the doing from the person. So what we do with our rheumatoid is separate from who we are. But often what most of us do is we bring the two together and we say, oh, today I'm not having a great day, therefore I'm not a great person. I failed today. And, you know, the, the doubt comes up and that's like when you see them, when they email you, that, you know, it's utter desperation at times. It's, it's You just go into this huge void that is... Um, for a lot of people, very difficult to come back out of. And, you know, ha having, I still have people that I have coaches that I work with, that I check in with. You know, I've got somebody in the Psych K area, another practitioner, and we do work on each other. I've got to make sure I'm, you know, still there. It's, a, it's the same with your diet and your exercise. If you let something slip and you have some oil, you know, as you did, you had massive flare-up. Yeah. It's the same with your emotions and your mindset. It's a something to be vigilant with, and it's where I think, you know, I can help a lot of people in this space because um, I'm, very, like you, very passionate about what I do, 
and also like you, I've always had this incredible determination that nothing is ever going to stop me from from being alive and from living the way I want to live and not, you know, I guess um, for me it was always that sort of visual of the wheelchair that kept me going, you know, that I'm never, ever going to end up in one. And, look, it's not to say that people who do haven't tried their hardest either, but, um, but yes, look, there are a lot of different, um, I know I don't know where we are time-wise, Clint, but, there are a lot of different strategies and techniques that can help people. Some of the simple things that people can do uh, in the platform on a day-to-day basis is what I said in the beginning is just starting to notice how you relate to yourself as a person on a day-to-day basis. Little simple things. You can, whether you want to keep a journal or not, but how do you feel when you wake up in the morning? What do you, what do, you do with that if you do feel negative? You know, do you are you kind to yourself? How do you express that kindness to yourself? Do you ask for your needs to be met emotionally? Like, do you say to somebody, "Look, I feel really whatever today. I need you to tell me that I'm lovable. I need you to give me a hug. I need you to sit with me and just listen." So, having our needs met is really important. Recognizing what those needs are, along with expressing emotions. The unconditional love, as I said in the beginning, is probably one of the most important things that you can. And it's a process. It takes time. It doesn't, you don't just say to somebody, you've got to learn to love yourself unconditionally. There are a whole lot of steps. And one of them is that, first of all, starting to notice what sort of relationship you have cultivated with yourself. Because that relationship then determines how you relate to your rheumatoid how you relate to the practitioners that come into your life, whether you're negative, you know, whether you doubt them, whether you share with them what you need to share with them, you know, and how you relate to other people. So it's, I call it, um, one of the things that I talk about is learning to have a home base of self-love. So even if you have a really crappy day, at the end of that day, you can sit down somewhere quietly. You can do some, close your eyes and do some deep breathing because it switches off the sympathetic nervous system. Quietly go in towards yourself and offer yourself some kindness. You know, if it's been a hard day, if the joints have been difficult, just the self-love because it it. To go to bed on a um, negative place, on a really, you know, I've, I'm no good at this, I'm not going to do it, it's, you know, hopeless, I'm hopeless. Um, it's little things that like that that will start to build up over time. I sort of see it as helping people to create choice because as children we don't have a choice. We don't really get to choose how we respond and react to life until we're adults. Can't change what happens to us when we're kids or when we're teenagers, but we can as adults. We can learn to be. There's a wonderful man who works out there called Gabor Mate, M A T E, and he has a process that I've done a bit on called the Compassionate Inquiry, and it's about exactly that: going into yourself in the most compassionate, kind way you possibly can, as a method of inquiry as to how you are with yourself. 
because when when you have rheumatoid or another inflammatory condition, you need to be your own best friend. And usually it's the opposite way around, isn't it? That's profound. That last sentence, especially all of it's great, but that last sentence, you need to be your own best friend because when you've got challenges of that scale, then you really have to provide yourself with that those positive, beautiful, supportive emotions and feelings because you need them. You need them yeah. more than someone else who is not unhealthy. You need them especially because you're suffering more. It's almost like when there is grieving, people all come together at a funeral and everyone is cuddling and, and all past tensions and conflicts are put aside for that period where we encourage and support and give each other love to get through. Well, every day feels like, you know, that sometimes with rheumatoid arthritis. And if we're not getting those cuddles and encouragement and love from someone close to us, we certainly got to be giving them to ourselves. Yeah. So I love that. We need to be our own best friends mm. is, 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 is great. And I work a lot using towards the end of the work with visualisations because I find that especially when you have a, um, a tough condition like a rheumatoid and even without the rheumatoid, most people will say to me when I say, how can I help you? What is it that you're wanting to change? They know what they don't want, but they don't know what they want instead of that. So if I said to, some, to you about something that you might want to change, a negative behaviour that you have towards yourself or your rheumatoid, what do you want instead of that? How do you want it to be different? Because yes. most of us don't know that. We've only got this negative pathway that we go down. So to take the brain in another direction, which is a bit like learning a new times table, to, and you use all of the senses to do it because they're the things that created the negative pathway in the beginning. So essentially we're laying down a completely new neural pathway in the brain for a positive belief system around the rheumatoid and around the relationship with yourself. But to do that, you've got to completely visualise that pathway to mm. bring it in. Yes, I, um, I love and have been utilising that technique as well. A lot of these things I've picked up throughout the years, my dad has always been into you know, uh, affirmations and positive visualization. He read a book many, many years ago um, and told me all about it. And I've been interested in this area as part of a connection with my dad. I like talking about this stuff. And he always uh, has, has, you know, put me in, in this direction. So I'm always running a book like this. And if I'm to find, I've got it upside down. If I'm to find a section at the back of the book, if I can, you know, here's my, I've got it written at the top every night and it says visualization. Uh, and I've got a bunch of things here that are quite personal to me, so I won't read them out, but mm. relating, you know, getting a, a bestseller book published uh, on Amazon and, and related to things like this and, uh, and some business goals and some health goals, 10 pull-ups, 10 chin-ups, you know, I, and so, and I visualize them. I don't just read them out, wrote learning. It's like I can, I'm picturing myself moving yep. through the motion. I'm picturing how long that last rep will take me because of the struggle. Mm. And so, yes, uh, it's, it's, uh, 
It's crew. It works, Alyssa. It does this, work. All this stuff yeah. you say oh, no. works. Much I talk I, to my, yeah. I talk to my joints, Clint. I actually talk to them. I because I, one of the things that I realised in my journey is that I was so awful to my body. I hated my body. I was ashamed of my body. So what I do now is if I've got a, a joint that I don't, you know, like for some reason, I talk to it. The nodule comes up, I talk to it. I look at it in the mirror and I say, come on, you know, I really do know you're there for a reason. I really love you, but I don't need you. So I need you to go away, you know, or I'm going to give you that, you know, if I've had a sore joint, um, I'm going to give you as much love as I possibly can today. But, you know, if people out there can just think about the fact that the Indigenous people in Australia, our Aborigines, they do a rain dance if they want rain to come. So they actually create that experience before it actually happens. You know, I saw a movie once when it was based on a true story where in Europe they built a train track going from one country to a couple of others years before they knew the train would come because they knew the train would come. It's that same visualisation because in our brain, the neuroscience says that you can create new neural pathways. You know, I worked, when I studied kinesiology, I worked with a, um, a neuroscientist who became a kinesiologist because he had a deep sea diving accident and he came up a paraplegic. But because he was a neuroscientist, he knew every single neural pathway in the brain off by heart. So he spent three months in hospital visualising. He would start with his big toe and he would work his way up that from the muscles all the way up the body to the pathway in the brain, visualise removing that again. Three months later, he walked out of the hospital and he said it was just from the visualisation of going through every single muscle to its pathway in the brain to refiring that again to getting it going. That stuff's extraordinary, isn't it? Yeah, it's, uh, so uh, it's just it, yeah, yeah. It's testament it's, to you know we we can. This is what we need to help people. We can do it. Mm, that's it. Well, how do people get help from you, Melissa? If they're motivated with what you've shared today and they want to do more, uh, I believe you have a website. If you would like to uh, state your website, we'll put it on the show notes as well on the webpage. Sure. It's elisalowenstern.com. You go and spell that? It's E-L-I-S-S-A-L-O-W-E-N-S-T-E-R-N.com. And I also work in the Patterson Program group, which I am very privileged to be able to give back. That's um, how I am seeing what I'm doing um, for all the lovely things that you've given me, Clint. Um, very much appreciated for the opportunity that I've had. Um, more than happy, I really would like to encourage people to reach out to me, even though I'm doing going to be doing a one, once a month at the moment um, free call as part of their membership inside the forum. I think the next one coming up is towards the end of April on emotions and stress and inflammation. Please ask me questions. Use me. I'm there, you know, to share my wisdom, to share tips that I have. Please don't feel shy about coming forward and, you know, asking me any questions that you want to. More than happy to help in any way I can. 
for members who missed uh, Alyssa's presentation that she did on unconditional love, it's loaded up inside your members area for members of Rheumatoid Solutions, Rheumatoid Support, go and check it out. You can watch the replay that she uh, that she kindly did uh, recorded, uh, even though she did that session live. So you can go and watch that. If you'd like to learn more from Alyssa, as she said, go to her website or jump on board one of our memberships and uh, you can uh, take part in the live presentations that she's doing monthly or ask her questions and use her. She's a fabulous resource. We're blessed to have her as part of our group. And what an achievement. All those decades of rheumatoid arthritis <laughs> and here you are in front of us looking so healthy and well. And uh, it's just a a, a, a tremendous uh, health outcome and it's it's so nice to have been able to play a little bit of a, a, a positive role in uh, in our services and the program and everything to contribute to to your already immense uh, results that you'd already had. So thank you, Alyssa. It's been really interesting chatting about all these different things and uh, and really appreciate your time. Yeah, thank you, Clint. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for listening to Rheumatoid Solutions. If you'd like to get more help to live an easier, healthier, and happier life, visit rheumatoidsolutions.com.